Worship in the World, a screen-free worship experience is brought to you by Downtown Church. Downtown Church is a community of unfinished people based in Columbia, South Carolina. We believe in asking honest questions while we strive to follow Christ within our own communities, loving people wherever they find themselves on their faith journey. Thank you for being with us virtually today. God, how great Thou art. 
Lucas. Hey, Don. I really like that song, How Great Thou Art. It's, uh, it's beautiful. The lyrics uh, really get me. Which lyrics get you? Um, I like the seeing the stars, hearing the thunder, um, the power of the universe displayed. I just, it makes you think of like whenever I'm outside and there's a storm or I see the night sky, I'm just reminded of how little I am mm. and how great God is in this created universe is. Yes. Well, and especially as we're watching storms come on the coast and destroy things that um, and put people's lives at danger, it's a really good reminder to me, too, that God's bigger than even that. I like the melody, the way it swells. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. You could sing it for us if you want. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm, I'm not either. Yeah, we'll leave no, that. We're going to leave we'll that, that to the Perry musicians. and Sean. They're, they're better than us at that. That's right. Well, let's go to a time of confession. Let us pray. Jesus, you come to us and you tell us to lay down our burdens, to lift whatever it is that is weighing us down, whether it be guilt or shame or jealousy or frustration or anger. We can just let it all go. We can lift it to you, Lord, and um, you, you came to lift that burden for us. And so we enter this time of prayer and silent prayer giving us space to name the things that keep us from you. Glory be to the 
you are great, greater than any sin, greater than any separation. Friends, believe this good news. And Jesus, we are forgiven, which means we can live at peace. Amen. Amen. And now for Holy Interruption. Hi, I'm Tim. I'm the space connoisseur of Downtown Church. I make sure the space is just right for you, inside plus outside. I've been with Downtown Church for eight years. I look forward to seeing some of y'all Sunday at 8.30 on the back line. Thank you, have a blessed day. So we're in this series looking at the Gospel of Mark, and we come to Mark 5, which is one of, um, to me, Jesus' most um, compelling experiences of healing, of of just recognizing the humanity um, and our pain. Um, So we're going to read from Mark 5, 21 through 43. Hear now God's word for us today. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So when he went with him, and a large crowd followed him and pressed in on Jesus. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately, her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say, Who touched me? Jesus looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of Jairus, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. 
Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him. They went into where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. At this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. North Myrtle Beach was the spot for a week every summer. Growing up, the entire Jones crew, my family, my dad's four siblings, the grandparents, and all the cousins would seemingly take over Cherry Grove for a week of family fun. One memory that stands out during this time was learning how to shag dance. The six-step shag. It's the dance of Myrtle Beach. I remember my uncle and granddad teaching the cousins out on the deck, listening to the music of the Tams, the chairman of the board and the drifters. The movement is rather simple, but it's critical, like most dances, to know when to step forward and when to step back. It's, it's a partner dance, and you have to work with your partner, knowing your role and the timing associated. And despite the lack of music or clear choreography, this story with Jesus, Jairus, and the hemorrhaging woman, this story reminds me of a dance. I mean, here we find two characters that interact with Jesus. And it would be hard to find two people farther apart on the social spectrum. One has power, has influence. In this story, he is given a name, Jairus. And then on the other side of the railroad tracks is a woman who has been cast out. Her 12-year-long medical condition and her gender have made her unclean, unworthy, unacceptable. 12 years of misery has plagued her. But Jairus and this unnamed woman do not remain separate. They don't stick to their silos of homogeneity. Their division and their brokenness are made whole by an interaction with Jesus. And their encounter with Jesus begins because of the one thing they share. They are both in pain and desperate for a savior. The fear of losing a child, the darkness of being sick, alone, and vulnerable. Like we do so often, they speak and act from their deepest pains. I see this every day. People are in pain, y'all, now more than ever. Whether it is in my personal life, conversations with church members, on the news, or on social media, we speak from what's hurting us or what we fear might hurt us. And Jesus listens. But in this story, for the hemorrhaging woman to speak, for Jesus to really listen, Jairus had to be quiet. Focusing in on Jairus is not to diminish the role of the woman here but rather to elevate her role by acknowledging that her story is not mine. I have never known the reality of being cast out, 
unclean or desperate for life and validation. I have never had to practice the courage that she demonstrated in grasping at Jesus's cloak. As a young, white, male pastor, I more easily identify with Jairus, with his situation and his level of social and economic privilege. I'm not affirming that this disparity is acceptable then or now, but trying to be real with where I fall in the mix as it stands. I've never experienced the pain of my child being close to death, but I do have those whom I love. And I can imagine that if I were in Jairus's position, I don't know if I would have handled myself quite like he did. If I were in his sandals, I think of rushing as fast as I can to get Jesus, Jesus to my dying daughter, pushing people out of the way, heart beating, adrenaline moving through my system. I'm a fast walker. These long legs and growing up chasing a tall dad have helped me get there. Leaving NC State football games as a child, trying to beat traffic, my dad would sprint walk through the crowd and expect all the kids to be right behind him. That's what I would be doing with Jesus. And as I'm leading Jesus to my house, looking back periodically to make sure he's still tight on my tail, I see that he has stopped. He's surrounded by the chaotic, pressing crowd, but he is still. His eyes are no longer on me. His attention has shifted and he looks down. He looks at someone else. My own impatience coupled with the real worries that my daughter is dying consume me. What is going on, Jesus? Time is ticking. And I'm not sure why he stopped, but as I get closer, I can see Jesus having a conversation with a woman. This woman, I can tell just by her clothes and the look on her face that she has had a hard life. Much, much harder than mine. Like so often happens, I hold on to a millisecond of sympathy and kindness, but selfishness rushes back. I'm sorry about your situation, ma'am, but I've got issues too. In that sweet Southern charm, I might say, I didn't cause your bleeding, so I'm going to have to ask you to keep moving. I think this peasant, this low beggar who shouldn't even be around the crowd gets in my way. Her problems are not as important as mine. Her pains are not equal to mine. I'm important. I'm the leader of the synagogue. I got to Jesus first. It's a zero-sum mindset. There's only so much Jesus to go around. It's the trend of American individualism. It's the fruits of an economy built on scarcity. It's a trap we all fall into. As I sit in the plush experiences of my life, I'm driven by the truth that I am the center of the story. Jesus is helping me. He is my personal Lord and Savior. And if that's the case, then he doesn't have time for this other woman. 
But that's not what happens in Scripture. Mark tells a radically different story where scarcity is replaced by Jesus' surplus, where selfish individualism is consumed by the fierceness of diverse and equitable community. Look closely. When this woman enters the scene, Jairus is no longer the sinner. The camera pans elsewhere. He steps back. Jairus no longer writes the narrative or gets to explain the woman's experience of oppression. Jairus stands and waits. Jairus doesn't belittle the woman for using up some of Jesus' time. Jairus does not use his power or influence to try and manipulate Jesus for his own gain. Jairus does not cry out, what about me? Jairus steps back. It's almost as if Jairus knew that to really fall on your knees and humble yourself to Christ is to remove ourselves from the center of the narrative. It is to give space for the most vulnerable to speak their truth. Because scripture attests that Jesus attends to the most vulnerable first. Recently, I was told by a preaching mentor that it's not all that important how many cool facts you have or the delicate exegesis or careful historical interpretation that you do in a sermon. These things matter, but what folks really want to hear is why do I believe in Jesus? As we work our way through Mark, the repeated question Don and I will be asking ourselves is what good news comes out of this passage? And how does it speak to us right now? The good news is that in a world of quite possibly the most polarizing times, at least in my life thus far, Jesus is there in the center, reaching to the margins, catching everyone in between. That's why I follow this wandering, dark-skinned refugee Christ. Because he meets folks where they are. He heals people of their misery. And he transforms our darkest experiences of death and suffering into resurrected life everlasting. But to embody this story of both speaking pain and being healed, to truly live out this good news, we have to make a choice. We have the choice to continue placing ourselves always at the center of the universe. We can choose to talk constantly. Believe me, I'm good at that. Talking over others, voice our opinions even when they aren't necessary, constructive, or even true. We can use our privilege only to help ourselves and further our interest. We can even weaponize Jesus and always put him in our corner, fighting off the others. Or we have the option to be like Jairus. The option to step forward, voicing our thoughts, speaking from our pains, and our experiences, and humbling ourselves before Jesus, but also stepping back to let others do the same. We have the option to let those who are oppressed control their narrative 
and give space for those who have no recognized power to courageously voice their pain safely. To step back enough giving space for those who have been beaten down by systems to reach out and touch the cloak of Jesus. That's the choice that I want to make. That's the choice that I see downtown church making. It's a dance. It's the wisdom to know when to step forward and when to step back. It's the humility to be like Jairus, stepping down from a position of power to fall on your knees to ask Jesus for help. But it's also the bravery of the woman to defy social norms, to defy the law, to begin her process of healing on her terms. It's a learning process, y'all. As my fiance's toes can attest, I'm not perfect at knowing when to step forward or back on the dance floor. It takes practice. It takes endless grace to ourselves, to one another. It takes a community who is willing to keep dancing with some bruised toes. And it takes believing in a savior who meets us in our pain and listens to our whole truth. Amen. I keep my turn on the surface So you don't gotta dig The people that make me nervous Try to hide all their sins I ain't got no reason To cover my tracks The best part of learning Is just learning So everyone can see There ain't no bothering spreading rumors Rumors about me Now I ain't no angel But I ain't so bad The best part of learning Is just loving where you're at So love where you're at
Lucas, that was a really good sermon. Thanks, Don. I appreciate it. You know, typically um, when I've preached that text, I've chosen to focus either on the hemorrhaging woman or Jairus because um, it's been so much to, to take both of them together. But I, I really love that you did preach both of them together because they are kind of strategically together. Um, why, why did you choose to do that? I don't know. It's common throughout Mark's gospel. There's a fancy word for it, but I don't know it off the top of my head of weaving two stories together. But I think it um, reminds us that um, it, there's always more than one story and there's always more than one narrative and perspective. Um, and it kind of just shows the way that people from different walks of life um, encounter Jesus in different but equally amazing ways. And so I wanted to honor Jairus and the hemorrhaging woman, but knowing that my experience um, is a lot more similar to Jairus's, and, and he spoke to me in this, this mm. passage for sure. There's a, a piece in that scripture that's always spoken to me, which is when Jesus realizes that the hemorrhaging woman has touched him and he you know, quiets the crowd and he's trying to figure out who did it and she comes forward and the scripture says she said her whole truth. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really powerful. And, and I just wonder how many of us are waiting for that opportunity to speak our whole truth, like our whole story, uh, and trust that Jesus wants to hear it and can hold it and will forgive um, the entire story. Um, we definitely don't get as many details about her, right? So we have no clue of knowing what her truth was. But I just wonder, as, as we go to God in prayer, um, what would it take for us to kind of say the whole the whole truth, our whole truth, you know, mm-hmm. and leave space for others to tell theirs as well. Right. Um, and that's where that whole stepping forward and stepping back metaphor really rang true to me. Um, but yeah, she, she's a fascinating character. And I, I, I like to imagine of what happened, what her life was like after this transformation, yeah. and how she, um, how she was healed and welcomed back into the community. Yeah. The other thing I thought of with the shag dancing, which I love, by the way, that metaphor, <laughs> is what if prayer, too, is a, a, a dance, a stepping forward and back with God, right? Because we often think about what we want to say and what, you know, how our hearts are going to be changed by having that conversation, that prayer life with God. But I'm, I'm curious, too, do we take a step back and listen for God's response to us or God's call for us or... Um, God's voice for us in scripture. That's the invitation, right? Mm-hmm. To read scripture alongside us. And um, that, that was one thing I heard convicting me was, ooh, you know, take a step back and hear what God is going to say to you. Yeah, it's because when we, even when we pray alone, we're never really alone. It is a conversation. Um, and it's, it's really awesome. Yeah. So speaking of prayer, you taught about prayer to our tiny theologians this week. I How did, did that go? I did. Our eight to 10 year olds, they taught me, Don. They are some sharp and really awesome kids. And yeah, we talked about prayer. We talked about different ways to pray um, and talked about different things to pray about. And the best part was that they got to write their own prayers. And I think um, we're going to use their prayers in worship because they have some really amazing words that um, I think speak to all of us. So let's, let's hear those now. Let us pray. Dear God, please end COVID because it is bad. People are dying. Thank you for the family time we have enjoyed recently. We are sad and sorry. People aren't getting treated greatly. Help us stand up for what's right. 
Hear us now as we pray the prayer you taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but forgive us from evil. For the thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Friends, step forward and step back. That is the call this week. And remember that God is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Go in peace. Special thanks to our technical team and artists of all forms. Musical composition and vocals brought to you by Sean Thompson and Perry Harris. Audio mastery by Drew Parker. How Great Thou Art by Carl Boberg, Gloria Patry by City Hymn, and Where You're At by Alan Stone. Scripture quoted from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible and Theological Musings and Prayer brought to you by Lucas Jones and Dawn High. You know, it's it's tricky. <laughs> <laughs> was that your stomach? That was my stomach. It was cookout. It's cookout's fault.